Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we move through the waters, baptism today in the waters of our life, the rest of us, as we move through the water to the Word, would you um, speak to us in a way that we can hear, even actually give us ears to hear? So that in hearing we can respond, and in responding we can be good news for the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That was pretty awesome, wasn't it? (laughs) It seems to me Leona's baptism is uh, just an absolutely beautiful visual of what Jesus has in mind when he says, whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest. Like children, that's the invitation. Like children, that's the call. There are a few memories from my childhood like vinyl in my memory. I remember playing with toy airplanes with Ryan Tannis when we first met. We were five years old. I can remember riding my bike all over town, recreating the national championship in driveways and the Super Bowl in backyards. Uh, I can remember church, uh, worship services, and Wednesday nights and mission trips. Everything was so much bigger. It all seemed so much simpler. Like children. I remember the first movie that I attended in a movie theater. Um, I think it was Star Wars. Is that? That's right, yeah. Thanks, Ben. That was helpful. <laughs> yeah, and then the second movie I remember going to was the mo- uh, in the theater, at least, was the movie Hoosiers. You remember Hoosiers? Starring Gene Hackman, the, the basketball coach who was uh, sort of relegated to the lower ranks of the smallest of the small schools in Indiana because of some conduct unbecoming. Uh, he was the coach of the Hickory Hoosiers. Uh, if, you, if you've seen the movie, you remember this line, no school this small has ever made it to a state championship. Do you remember the movie? Do you remember that line? Uh, there's a secondary, secondary story uh, in the movie revolving around uh, Shooter. Shooter was a drunk. He was the dad of one of the players. Coach asked Shooter if he would be his assistant on one condition, that he stopped drinking. It's a beautiful story of love and loss and redemption and struggle. Uh, In one game, uh, Coach got kicked out, intentionally got himself kicked out so that Shooter would have to fill in as the head coach. There were 20 seconds left in the game. The score was tied. Uh, Shooter calls timeout, gets the guys around him, uh, draws up a play. He called it the picket fence. And just before he sends the guys back out onto the court to win the game, 
Well, Ben's going to help us out. You can, you can just listen to it. that line I cry every time boys don't get caught watching the paint dry if that has anything to do with a sermon I will let you know <laughs> thanks for letting me uh, share a little bit of Hoosiers with you listen with me now to uh, Jesus imagining the kingdom uh, and don't get caught watching the paint dry uh, then the kingdom of heaven is like this. Uh, ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. At about midnight, there was a shout, look, the bridegroom is here. Come to meet him. And those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. And the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for us and for you. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And when they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. When the others came, they said, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he said, truly I tell you, I never knew you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. It is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves, and entrusted his property to them. To the one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went away. The one who had five talents went out at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had received two talents went out and made two more talents. But the one who had been given one talent dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came bringing five more talents. 
He said to him, Master, you handed over to me five talents. Here are five more talents. And the master replied, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You, you have been trustworthy with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who had received two talents came. Master, you handed over to me two talents. Here are two more talents. His master replied, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who received one talent came also. And he said, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering the seed you had not scattered. And I was afraid. So I went and hid your money. Here, take what is yours. And he replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I do not sow and gather what I did not scatter? You ought to have invested my money with bankers and got, brought me what is mine and the interest. Take his talent and give it to the one who has ten. For those who have, more will be given and they will have an abundance. But to those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, send him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. It's the first 30 verses of Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to make this quick because we're going to head to the table and I'd like to make it clear. There's an expectation I don't want you to miss and a demand we can't ignore. The expectation is there is one coming. There is one returning. Though, though the parables, the two parables, the one of the bridesmaids and the other with the talents are different in their plot lines, different in their emphases, different in their context, there is one thing that remains similar, the expectation of return. In the parable of the bridesmaids, it's the bridegroom. In the parable of the talents, it's the master. And in the story of the Christian faith, it's Jesus Christ. The expectation is Jesus Christ breaks in. Jesus Christ will come again. Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary in the backwater town of Bethlehem, grows into a man, wreaks havoc on the religious elite and the politically powerful, so much so that he's forced to suffer under Pontius Pilate. He's crucified for the forgiveness of sins. He's die, he dies, he goes to the grave, only to shock the world with resurrection, a shock so profound the world still hasn't recovered. And then he ascended into heaven. He went away. Uh, this is the way the first parable puts it. When the bridegroom was delayed. Uh, here's the way the second parable puts it. It's as if a man going on a journey. The expectation is Christ coming again. The experience is absence. Not always, not all the time, but certainly some of the time, at least 
part of the time, for at least some of us, Jordan, you're in the back row now. What, what was it, four years? For some of us, some of the time, the experience is absence and, it, absence, and it just doesn't seem genuine, honest, or even, frankly, helpful not to acknowledge it. The expectation is return, but so often the experience is absence. Am I the only one who's ever prayed wondering if they're talking to themselves? Am I the only one who's ever opened the Bible and wondered, what? Am I the only one who's had at least a season of life that feels more like eastern Washington than the Pacific Northwest? When I was uh, in college, between my sophomore and junior year, I was awakened, I would call it, to things of faith. I wasn't converted in college. I grew up uh, knowing the name of Jesus. Uh, but I was awakened. It became personal. It became real. It became my own. It, it, was a, it was an unbelievably sweet season. It was preceded by a bunch of pain, <laughs> which is probably a relationship there, uh, but, it, you know, I'd open my Bible, and it was like God reaching out to me. I would pray these prayers, and it was like communion with the living Christ. It, it lasted the end of my sophomore year through the summer before my junior year, and then my junior year, this long season of absence. It was like, what happened? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It was my junior year in college, Julie Canlis, who was an intern with Campus Ministries at Hope at the time, introduced me to St. John of the Cross, who wrote a book titled The Dark Night of the Soul. Apparently, I wasn't the only one. She introduced me to, to some psalms that apparently I had never read before, like, why are you so far from helping me? From the cries of my groaning, I realized in that season of life, that long season of absence, the, the, the vision of, of a robust life with God, a, a vibrant life in faith, is not always joy and expression, but sometimes devout faithfulness in the midst of absence. Absence is often the experience, and it just doesn't seem right or fair to not name it because I know a lot of people who feel the absence and go on blaming themselves. I'm not faithful enough. I don't pray enough. I don't read the Bible enough. I'm not devout enough. And any of those things may be true. I'm not sure about your life, but they don't have to be the result, the cause of the absence. When the bridegroom was delayed, it's as if a man went on a journey Absence can be the experience, but it's not the end of the story. The expectation is return. Christ breaks in. Christ will come again. And every breaking in now is a foretaste of the great breaking in when he'll come again to make all things new and to make all things right. If you with me look at the world and your heart breaks by the devastating realities you see, take heart, Christ breaks in. Christ will come again. If, if the news of 12,000 detained at the El Paso border with its politically complex realities leaving your mind blown, but the human realities leave your heart broken, take heart. Christ breaks in. Christ will come again. 
If, if the violence of the world leaves you on a hamster wheel, running, 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 and no, you don't seem to get anywhere, or, or the oppression is like a glass ceiling and you're beating your fist against the wall, or the angst of a secularizing world leaves you with head in your hands, take heart. Christ breaks in. Christ will come again. That's the expectation. Are you with me? Now, here's the demand that you can't ignore, and forgive me if this sounds rude. Wake up. Was that rude? Keep awake. Therefore, you do not know the day or the hour. Keep awake. Be attentive. Stay alert. Yes, absence may be real. The expectation is Christ will come again, and the expectation invites us into action now, not to sit back passively waiting, waiting by and by until finally someday, but rather participation in daily acts of everyday faithfulness. Keep awake. Stay alert. Be attentive. These two parables, they're kind of troubling to me. I mean, the weeping and gnashing of teeth stuff, that's troubling. We'll get to that next week. Aren't you excited for next Sunday? <laughs> but, I mean, first of all, the first parable. The conclusion is keep awake. There's five wise and five foolish, but all of them fall asleep. The difference is the oil, not the sleeping. So what do you do with that? And then what are we supposed to commend the wise bridesmaids for not sharing? Give us some of your oil. No. What? What about the gospel of generosity? What about the kingdom of abundance? And then they come back, the bridesmaids, the foolish ones, they knock, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he says, I never knew you an echo of what Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, that doesn't sound right. And then the second parable. One gets five, one gets two, one gets one. What happened to equity? And what's worse, each according to their abilities. So then why would you pick on the guy who only had one talent? You didn't expect much from him anyway. Seems like a pretty harsh judgment on someone you didn't have a lot of hope for. And even if I can get my head around that, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not so much uh, what you make, it's what you do with what you got. You know, I can get my head around that. But even so, doesn't it leave you anxious? This is a cause and effect parable. If you do this, you'll get that. I thought the gospel of Christ was, no, 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 you get what you don't deserve. God is so gracious. God is so good. Is are anyone else anxious? Well, the troubling realities of the parables are real, and we could spend all day going through them, but don't let the troubling realities, the troubling details, distract you from the primary point. The primary point, keep awake. Stay awake. Be alert. Be attentive. Daily acts of ordinary faithfulness. 
Nobody's asking you to change the world. I, I know you hear that all the time. Nobody wants you to change the world. We just want you to be faithful and let God change the world. You be faithful today. You be faithful now. You be faithful here. Keep awake. Keep awake to the poor. Keep awake to the hungry. Keep awake to the sad. Keep awake to God through Scripture, by the Spirit, at the table, in community. Keep awake. I began this season of Lent, uh, what I call the Lent group. How's that for creative? Uh, every Wednesday, a group of us get together. We have three commitments to memorize long passages of the Bible and I'm trying to help them do it. Pray ancient prayers, because most of us have pretty anemic prayer lives, uh, and share our stories with one another. We call it appropriately vulnerable. We're not therapists, and this is not group, so appropriately vulnerable. And, and trusting that somehow in that triad of Scripture and prayer and vulnerability, God might do something among us. Uh, on Wednesday of this past week, one of us, shared a story. Uh, I have his permission. I'm going to change his name and some of the details, so don't even wonder who it is. Uh, we'll call him Tony. Uh, Tony started out a story like this. Uh, when I was a kid, I was annoying. I burned friendships, trying to keep them. I was kicked out of school in second grade because they couldn't handle me. And I developed a narrative in my life, you don't belong, you don't fit in, nobody likes you. My mom was, she would speak tenderness into my life, words of encouragement, but I dismissed it because it's my mom. She's supposed to say that. Instead, I don't belong, I don't fit in, nobody likes me. He said that if it were now, he would have been diagnosed with ADHD. Uh, but then it was just, I don't belong, I don't fit in, nobody likes me. Uh, in third grade, he had been kicked out of one school in second grade, so went to a different school for third grade. Uh, his teacher, we'll call her Mrs. Timmer, he, he didn't remember much about third grade as a year, but he remembered the last day of third grade. That's the day he got a yearbook. When he got his yearbook, he opened it to his picture, and there was a note from Mrs. Timmer. You are an exceptional child. You are going to do great things one day. And Tony dismissed it, because, you know, I don't belong, I don't fit in, nobody likes me. Uh, by eighth grade, he actually got on some medication, and his annoying behavior settled out. But the narrative had already been written. You don't belong, you don't fit in, nobody likes you. Uh, got into college on probation, graduated from college with a job, and over the last two decades has actually been quite successful. Uh, the Grand Rapids Press apparently just a few years ago awarded him 40 under 40. Do you know of these awards? Apparently encouraging young leaders in West Michigan, he was awarded 40 under 40 in West Michigan. Uh, but he was honored uh, and dismissed it because... You don't belong. You don't fit in. Nobody likes you. A couple of weeks after receiving the award, he went to his office, and there on his office desk was an envelope. And in the envelope was a letter and a picture. 
The picture was the page of his third grade yearbook with Mrs. Timber's note, you're an exceptional child. You're gonna do something remarkable one day. And the note was from Mrs. Timmer. Simply said, I'm so proud of you. Mrs. Timmer was not setting out to change the world. She was just staying awake. Keep awake, keep awake, keep awake. Daily acts of ordinary faithfulness. For you know neither the day nor the hour. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.